Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's C-Suite Conversations podcast with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host. In case you hear the roar, we're here at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, live at the annual YPO conference, Young Presidents Organization, where I've been keynoting and hosting multiple podcasts. You may recognize me as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. Now, in its fourth year, 200 episodes, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Some of the episodes became so virally downloaded and listened to, we learned that most of them were not the major celebrity or the best-selling author or the business titan. It was the relatable CEO. It was the person from the C-suite who you could say, gosh, you know what? I liked their journey. I liked their path. I could follow that. I could replicate that. So because of that idea and your demand, we launched this new podcast. And today I have Eric Grilly, who is the president of Shows and Residence for Cirque du Soleil here based in Las Vegas. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. You're the host of this conference here in your home city. Thanks for carving out some time with us today. I'm guessing you weren't a sixth grader that said, my life goal is to work for Cirque du Soleil. Maybe it was. No. Perhaps the ladies and gents on the trapeze, that was their goal. But you've got a journey to the C-suite in um, Cirque du Soleil. Take a few moments and kind of walk us through for our listeners and viewers how your path meandered to become part of the Cirque du Soleil family. So uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. Grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, went to school in California. Uh, studied pre-med for three years and uh, found out that that was not for me. Uh, went into the newspaper industry um, early on. So I joined in 93. In 95 is when Netscape was created. And so uh, news organizations have the ability to come out under the walled garden of Prodigy, CompuServe, and AOL. And so I helped write the business plan to launch um, the website for uh, 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 Sacramento Bee and started a 14-year career in newspapers, um, which ended uh, at Media News Group, the second largest newspaper chain in America. I was uh, president and CEO of their digital division. Uh, then had an opportunity to go to, Flor- uh, to Philadelphia to join a group of investors who bought some uh, media assets there. Um, timing was not great. Uh, I moved there in 2007. I think we all know what happened in 2008. Um, along the way, I had started a conversation with Comcast around their aspirations in their regional sports networks. At that point in time, newspapers are really the dominant provider of news and information online. And so we were quite far ahead of, of others. And in that conversations led to me uh, joining Comcast Sports Group as their chief digital officer and build out their regional sports networks. We bought NBC along the way. Uh, was offered an opportunity uh, to move to Chicago to run the action sports division. I'm trying to keep track right now because it's been around the nation, has it not? Keep going. Seven, seven relocations. Wow. Wow. So, you know, professional manager. Yeah. Uh, but that was my first foray into live entertainment. And I did that for three years. And then uh, a private equity firm knocked on the door one day and asked me if I would be the CEO of their live entertainment company they just acquired in Minneapolis. Uh, and I uh, joined that business. And on uh, my 25th month as CEO, I signed a letter of intent to sell the company. And on my 30th month, we sold the business to Cirque du Soleil. Wow. Remarkable journey. Anchorage to Las Vegas with a couple in between. Yeah. I think something you and I share in common is not so dissimilar to you. I have moved for professionally from Orlando to Salt Lake City to London, back to Salt Lake City, to Chicago, back to Salt Lake City. And I think a lot of my upper mobility came from my willingness to be flexible and entrepreneurial in moving around. Didn't have a family early in my career, so easier for me. How much do you attribute your rise beyond talent and education and passion and drive and connections and personality and that kind of stuff? How much do you attribute to your willingness to try new things and go new places where perhaps you knew no one 
Yeah. So, you know, my, my dad was a corporate CEO. And so I, I look at I was raised by a, a, an industry leader uh, and who was always willing to take risks. And he moved his family from Cleveland to Florida. And at 32 years old, he was offered an opportunity to go to Anchorage, Alaska. So he moved us to Alaska where we had no, no family. Um, so I've never had, I've got a big family from Cleveland. For you, that was normal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We never, I've never lived around family. So, you know, moving for opportunity was sort of yeah. the norm. Yeah. You, you serve as the president of Resident Shows Division at Cirque du Soleil. Some of these names will be very common to our listeners and viewers, including um, Mystere. Yes. O at Bellagio. The Beatles Love at the Mirage. Ka at here MGM Grand. Michael Jackson won at Mandalay Bay. The upcoming show Mad. Apple in New York City and also Blue Man Group. These is a large portfolio of some of the most amazing brands in live entertainment. Uh, that's, a new, that's a new journey for you. Yes. You just didn't spend the first half of your career. What's unique about this aspect of the media business that's different from your role as a journalist in sports? And what, 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 what's different about this than previous assignments? The scale of this. This is, this is without a doubt the largest operation um, I've had the honor to run. It's, it's massive. I mean, it's it's uh, the certain, how many live performers altogether? Five hundred thirty-five in in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, another seventy, eighty in Orlando. Um, we have about fifteen hundred employees here in Las Vegas, and twelve hundred of them are dedicated to the show. And then we have office support staff to, that helps do that. But yeah, it was a it was a it was a it was a, an adjustment. Um, you know, we sell ninety-seven thousand tickets a week. Uh, if you add Blue Man Group into that, that's the Cirque branded shows. It's 109,000 tickets a week in Las Vegas that we have the opportunity to sell. So that that logistics of that, the internal media buying, all that we brought in-house. We were a vertically integrated company. Uh, and so we manage that part of the business with our partners. Uh, we've got fantastic partners with MGM and, and Disney and Treasure Island that uh, I get to work with every day. You have a remarkable record at Cirque du Soleil for safety. You know, all of these high-risk you know, uh, gravity-defying feats. I live in Salt Lake City, and just last week, some of my friends were going to a Cirque du Soleil with the symphony. It's like an on-tour group of some sort. It was, okay. a, it was a Cirque event like, set to music or something like that. Okay. Um, what precautions do you take to make sure that all of your employees and your audience are safe and rehearsed? I imagine it's, it's a science, not just an art. It's a, it was, it's a massive investment in technology and systems, right? And so every day, Every system, the, our technicians, our day crew go through and check all of our systems and verify that they're operating properly, they're at scale, they're, uh, and, and so there's literally a checklist that we have to go through before that show is allowed to open. And that's, that happens every single day. Um, if you've been to, to Love, that show has more access points above, below, and there's six access points. To the, so there's, uh, and there's so much movement on that stage, so much automation in that stage, and that is verified and checked every day. And then the other thing that we do is we have, you know, a performance medicine team and a strength and conditioning team, and they're responsible for the safety of, of, our, of our artists. And we rehearse and train for pretty much every scenario uh, uh, that might occur or happen. So when it does happen, we're prepared to, to immediately react and respond for the safety of our artists. Do the artists and performers move back and forth between shows or they're dedicated to a show for its run? They're fairly dedicated to their show. Um, you know, we don't have many of the same acts, so it's hard to move from one show to the next because we don't replicate. You know, I think it's one of the unique things about Cirque and our creativity is that 
We really, you know, only want to have one type of an act in one of the shows. But we do have people, you know, in the touring show division that after touring for seven or eight years, going from country to country, they're ready to settle down. And, you know, Las Vegas, for most of our artists, is home and has been for a while. I mean, Mystere is going to celebrate its 30th anniversary next year. O is 25 next year and, and MJ will be 10 next year. How do you how do you keep the momentum? I mean, Cirque has a unparalleled level of creativity. I can't think of a corollary. I can't think of who your competition is in terms of innovation and excitement and performance. How do you keep the momentum going in terms of selecting what's next? And how long does that take? I mean, our shows in in sort of pre-development phase that might come out a year from now or five years from now, what's that creative process look like? Well, I have a unique perspective on this because we went from a billion dollars to zero overnight. And so we had to restart the momentum. We, we laid off all of our employees and, um, and had to go through the process of bringing people back and rehiring people back, um, which took us, uh, we reopened Las Vegas in six months. We basically opened a new show, brought back uh, uh, 1,500 people to work. At one point in time, 90 days, we had hired 700 people. But yeah, the, the most of the same ones from pre-pandemic. Yeah, uh, the artists was about ninety percent return rate. Yeah. The technicians were about eighty-five percent, and then the office was where we had the most challenge was about sixty yeah. percent. Congratulations! I mean, great numbers of retention compared to some industries. It's a very desirable company to work for. Um, you know, I, I had no appreciation of the size and scale that until I moved here. But but to answer your question on the creative process, yes, it's it's many years in the making. You know, drawn to life uh, between the renovations to the theater. Uh, the creative process is the first time that Disney had allowed a third party to work with their IP. And so that was two years uh, to, to create that show and bring it to life. Like all product launches, inevitably your, your science, your research, your art, your data, your intuition doesn't always go right. Yeah. I'm guessing there are investments in shows, creative outlets that, that have been designed. How quickly can you tell this isn't going to work. The audience isn't seeing our vision forward. There is an audience. And is it best to try to retool and re-envision or pull the plug and cut your losses and move on? You know, I think in the company's history, we've done both. You know, we've launched shows that took us a year to get it right, to listen to the audience. You, know? you launched and then you tweaked music, you tweet, tweet. All, all the above. Yeah. I mean, you start seeing at a certain, a certain part of the show, six people get up and walk out. You, you're disconnecting with your audience. Yeah. So what was that? What's that moment? And we do exit interviews, intercept studies to try to understand that. You know, we had a, we took a, a big risk with a new show called Run. Uh, it, it opened right after, right, bef right before I started, actually moved my family here to Las Vegas. And it was really a, a very interesting creative product. We tried to step outside of, of our, um, our wheelhouse um, in, in implementing action sports and really creating a live action thriller that took place within and around the audience. And we learned, you know, the, the, the brand, the Cirque brand has 91% global brand awareness, um, but there's an expectation that comes with that awareness. And when we step so far away from that, um, we, we had a disconnect. Not what they expected. Yeah. This isn't who I think you are. And so we had some conversations with our partners. Do we, do we make, we had plans to make adjustments and changes to the show, implement more Cirque elements into it. And that was right when COVID started taking off. So that was January, February. And so I think the combination of, of the road ahead to fix the show and with, with COVID looming, we made the decision to pull the plug in with what happened with COVID and us being dark for 16 months. I think it was the right decision. Talk about the pandemic. I can't tell or think of many businesses that shut down for as long as you did. 
I mean, I mean, 16 months, no shows. I mean, restaurants opened, theme parks opened, movies, theaters to some extent. That was painful. Yes, it was. Were there points of when you thought maybe it's not going to happen? We won't survive? Um, you know, we, it, the, the, the COVID put us through a process, right? So we went through a significant reorganization, restructuring process that led to a, basically an auction of the company uh, with the conclusion of our lenders um, uh, decided to take control of the company. So they exchanged their debt for equity. We formed a new board. Um, they retained the management team and uh, infused hundreds of millions of dollars back into the business to, 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 to rebuild it. All this done before we knew when we could open, right? I mean, this happened in, in November and December of, of uh, 2020. You know, we didn't open our first show until June 28th of 2021. So um, the, they were super supportive. I think, you know, our business fundamentals going into COVID were healthy. There was nothing wrong with the business. The business was growing and doing quite well. So I think that gave everyone a lot of confidence in why we had so many interested parties in the business uh, because of that. And we've done something that, you know, I, I, it, it was hard to do when, when I was a V-Star, and that's to build scale and live entertainment because you, it's a perishable asset. Over time, you know, there's only so many times in markets and stuff you can play, and that's where Circus is an anomaly. Our average age of our show here is 17 years, and they're all going strong and selling 70 to 80% audiences every single night. You mentioned the pandemic a couple of times. Was, was there a silver lining in it? I mean, not dismissing the carnage to human life and to people's uh, prosperity. Has your company emerged stronger and better and more sustainable, you think, as a result of it? You would have wished that on the firm, but as you look back now, how are you feeling about the future of the company? You know, I, the, one of the, my, my worst days was on March 15th when we made the decision to shut the business down. Las Vegas was the last part of the company still running. You thought it might be, be for how long? I thought I flew back to Florida with my wife and I thought maybe eight to 10 weeks that we would be closed. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, boy, was I wrong. You know, it was literally 16 months to be able to reopen um, our shows. And, you know, each show took about eight to 12 weeks to get for the rehearsal time and get our artists back into show condition, they came back in unbelievable condition. The discipline that these folks, these artists have is unparalleled. I'm guessing the communication, the trust, the transparency you had with the Cirque team required a different level of leadership than you were used to over those 18 months. We've interviewed the CEO of Hilton and Marriott and Panera. They had similar challenges, but they weren't closed for 18 months. Yeah. I'm guessing you had to keep calibrating the momentum, the transparency, the way you communicated with your team, because you didn't want to, you know, you perhaps can replace someone who runs a register with another person, but you can't as easily replace a trapeze artist or a musician or performer. I'm guessing it stretched your own leadership skills to know what to say, when to say it, what promises to make, Absolutely. what might keep changing. What have you learned? How are you a different leader now post pandemic, post the 18 months you were closed than you were two years ago? Um, you know, there was a lot of dark days in that period and, and didn't know if there was going to be a future and if I would be invited to be part of that future. And, you know, yet here you are. Yeah, well, you know, I, what I what I really focus on, because we, we laid off over 4000 employees, but we did maintain an employee relationship with the artist here. Um, we never thought it was going to be 16 months, but we thought we knew that Vegas would be the first part of our company to reopen. 
and it's it's a profitable part of our company, so it was essential. So by maintaining that relationship with our artists allowed us, I think, to hopefully give them hope and inspiration that we're coming back. I held monthly Zoom calls with them, so I think I really learned the, in the appreciation of communication. And there was months I didn't have anything new to share with yeah. them. I mean, I didn't have any answers. I can't believe we're still here. That, that, that's your narrative. We're coming back, guys. Hang in there with us. Um, you know, if we could help them in terms of securing uh, economic support from state or government programs, we worked behind that. But there was only 160 of us that stayed to rebuild the company. Um, and, you know, it was a grueling process to get through the financial, legal process of restructuring, reorganizing the company, forming a new board, building a business plan on how you can, you know, reopen and rebuild. You are a different leader. Yeah, I would say so. Tell me, let's talk about your leadership style. I got a lot more gray hair. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> let's talk about your leadership style. Uh, no doubt you would have team members that would fawn over you and say this and this and this is great. You're a critic. You're a detractor. We all have them. It's a sign of self-awareness. Someone that would be critical of, of your leadership style, they would say what? Eric needs to work on... Um, I'm not a patient person. And patience leads to um, listening. You know, there's an old saying that people aren't listening to what you're saying. They're listening to what's going on inside their own head. And so I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, and so I, for myself, catching myself and pausing, finding pause moments to breathe, to, to pull back, um, to realize that you're not going to get to the right decision right now. It's not the right timing to do that. But I would say, you know, if there was a criticism is um, I, I have a, 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 a huge sense of urgency um, that leads to impatience. Which I'm guessing, like most leaders, is probably one of your biggest strengths. When overplayed can become a weakness. It I'm comes guessing, both ways. Yep. Yeah, I'm guessing your career legacy is because you have a bias to action. You're impatient. You have a sense of urgency. It's just how that gets conveyed, right? Because you've got to enroll people into into your vision where you're going, particularly when they say there's no way you can do that or that's just not going to happen. Why do I think it can happen? What do I see that they don't see? Then I have to close that gap. That's my job as the leader. Yeah. Uh, think back in your career. I want you to think of someone professionally that was a transition figure that changed your trajectory, your self-confidence. They saw more in you than perhaps you did as yourself. Think of someone in your mind and tell us about them. What was it about them as a mentor, formal, informal? I call it a transition figure. What did they do for you? So um, I mentioned my father before who worked in the newspaper business and I had the chance to work with him for eight years in Denver at Media News Group. And it cut both ways. My dad is an extremely uh, challenging individual. I mean, he, he just, uh, the push for me for excellence and, and then not wanting to, you know, have failure. But at the same time, I had the same last name as he did. And so I felt like I had to work extra hard uh, to prove myself so that it wasn't just, oh, that's Grilly's son, so he's going to get that job. Um, but the stewardship I got from him and then the owner of the company, uh, who founded the company, Dean Singleton, uh, was a huge advocate. And, you know, we were building the digital media business before people really understood what the opportunity was. People thought we were being cannibalistic. And so um, I was successful in one with my dad's support and then gaining the trust and advocacy of, of the CEO of the business. And so that that was a pinnacle point for my career. It really put me in my first president role to run a business um, and to give me the confidence that I could do that. I'm surprised, maybe I shouldn't be anymore at when I ask that question, I don't always ask that, how many people go back to their parents? It's usually their dad or their mother. That wasn't my role. I was raised well, but my parents weren't transition figures at all in my professional career. Um, your dad's still alive? Yes. 
I'm sure very proud of you. Yep. Comes to the shows occasionally. He was just here uh, for the opening of MJ1. Was he? Yep. Congrats. What's next for the Cir What's next for the Cirque family? Can you share kind of what's on the horizon? Got a cool thing happening in New York City, right? Yeah, well, here, but called Mad Apple. Mad Apple. We're bringing here. New York City to Vegas. Ah, uh, you're bringing it to Vegas. Right. So you, uh, we have some very creative assets. When you get, when you arrive to uh, Harry Reid International Airport, one of our signage, and I'm sure if you've been to the airport, you see that we're quite visible there. Yeah. We have a welcome to New York uh, when you come off the escalator, uh, which just gives it gives you a sense of the play that that show is going yeah. to have. It's it's our first show with the comedic headliner. It's our one of our first shows with mainstream music, um, and then it mixes magic, mayhem, and, and comedy and Cirque into one show. So I think we learned a lot from our run experience and not straying too far from the expectations. But Matt Apple, I think for us and why I'm excited about it is this cabaret concept. Um, I think has lots of extensions into other markets. So if we can make this one work right with our partners at MGM, I think that there's going to be opportunities for us in the cabaret space. Um, it appeals to, to younger audiences. Um, it has a mix of, of hospitality, of comedy, of different things that people are, are doing. So as long as people are still interested in coming into live entertainment, if, as long as we are developing things that meet their expectations, um, I think we've got a long runway ahead of us. But we're still rebuilding the company, too. I mean, we're, while we're up fully running in Las Vegas, the touring show division is halfway through the reopening. So we've got a lot of growth opportunity. And then we have a, a new Big Top show opening up next year. And then we have another arena show. So we will continue to build and launch new products. And then with our, our affiliates, uh, especially in our kids division, um, we have a fantastic partnership with Nickelodeon. And I think there's a lot more opportunities for us. So you'll see more kids shows for us, both domestically as well as globally. Eric, send us off with this last insight. I want you to think about a talent that's unique to you, that you've cultivated, you've learned, but that you think other people can replicate, but you don't see it very often. Is there something that you do that's uniquely aligned with your trajectory, your corporate career, that if other people could apply it, learn it, perfect it, that they could also be more successful? Check your humility. What's yeah, something I mean, you do well? I, I just I'm asking you. Being that special, you. I'm know? asking you. Something. Um, give me a talent that you that you're proud of, that you've said, "Gosh, if I if others could replicate this, like I didn't go to Princeton. My parents didn't give me, you know, a trust fund. I mean, there's things you, I, that that other people have that I can't replicate. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. Teach me, teach me something that you do well that you think I could learn that would also improve my career. I'll I'll share something that was said to me, and I didn't yeah. even see this. Yeah. So we had our artists perform here from the stair uh, uh, at the opening ceremony here at this event. And I went up when they were finished, I walked up to the side to thank them. And uh, when I did my talk earlier, um, I was talking about different things and, and one of my forum mates uh, and uh, fellow board members of the Sports Entertainment Industry Network said to me, he said, you know, Eric, you left something out that you have that's unique. And he used three words, which was, um, Modesty, gratitude, and humility. And as I think about that, those are, you know, while I love to lead an organization, I don't need to be in the spotlight. I don't need, I like to rather celebrate other people's successes than mine. A simple acknowledgement that I was part of it is, is more than enough for me. Well said. Eric Grilly, one of the presidents at Thank Cirque du Soleil. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Your energy is contagious, by the way, in a positive way. So is your humility <laughs> and your modesty. And we'll see you back next week for another conversation on C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller.